Welcome to episode 128 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we're on the trail in a hiker camp at Ecola State Park in Oregon. We'll get input from the kids about our spring break adventure. Then we'll head back home and review a piece of gear that we brought with us on the trail. And we'll share a backpack hack that will turn leftover dinner into dessert. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. This has been a long wet winter. We've said that before, but the last (laughs) time we got out on an overnight backpacking trip was in early October of 2016. It was a two-nighter that turned into a one-nighter because it was so wet. Yeah, that was a cold, wet trip. And every day since that trip has been cold and wet. And we could not stay inside any longer and decided on the very last couple days of spring break that we were going to take advantage of this opportunity. And the last couple days happened to be... I'm going to say less cold and less wet. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. In fact, today we've actually got some sunshine. So that's some kind of miracle, I guess, for this winter. Spring break miracle. Yeah. But we were just getting so antsy to get out. It's been so long and uh, you can do it year round, but it is easier in the summer. We still love the benefits of backpacking and we still get those benefits when we get out in the winter, even though it's harder to do. Oh, absolutely. And I'm actually becoming a little bit more convinced of the benefits of winter backpacking. The more I learn about the human body and the benefits of movement and the benefits of experiencing different terrain and different temperatures, just things that we can expose our body to that are different from basically concrete and steel. Anything that gets you out in your natural, in your natural world is going to be beneficial. So I think the longer you go without doing a backpacking trip, especially when the weather's cold, the more that you you start to think, ah, it's too cold, it's too wet, it, I'm just not, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, you kind of get soft. I feel like we've gotten soft this winter. We have. And we just had to get out, even though we were telling ourselves, it's too wet, it's too cold. You know, looking at the forecast over and over and saying, well, okay, it's for a low of 40. Oh, never mind, a low of 38. Oh, wait, no, it's going to be a low of 36. Is that going to be okay? The high is going to be 55. No, wait, never mind. The high is only going to be 50. And yeah, we've gotten weak (laughs) and soft. Well, even on the first half of this trail, it was extremely muddy, and we decided to do a four-mile trail, which normally wouldn't be that difficult. I mean, two miles is kind of, you know, it's comfortable. Four miles is a little bit more challenging, but it was mostly mud. Like every, seems like about every 50 feet or so, there was a mud pit, and not the kind of mud pit that you can just kind of dance around and kind of go off trail a little bit, but one where the ground was seriously soaked. And even if you went off to the side a little bit, 
you're still stepping in squishy stuff. So I had a little bit of a hard time overcoming that. I felt a little bit soft on this trip for sure. And uh, the first two miles were more of a mental challenge for me, you know, like, this is not what I signed up for. I wanted four miles of perfectly groomed trail, not this stuff. Well, I looked up the trail reports and um, I read that it was going to be muddy. And of course, you don't really know what that means. What that meant for this trail was that I think that it turned a four mile trail into about a six mile hike for us as we went around so many mud bogs and sometimes had to go way around them off trail. So I knew it was going to be muddy and I said it was going to be muddy. I didn't know exactly how muddy. And so I guess... Maybe a lesson learned is um, the one who does the research probably internalizes the message a little more than the rest of the family. Mm. And I had done the research. Okay, it's going to be muddy. I had internalized that message that it's going to be muddy. I had internalized, you know, what the temperatures were going to be like and how much rain we might get. And I had told all of you that, but it was like in passing. Hey, Heather, it's going to be muddy. This is the kind of mud where, yeah, when you step in it, it kind of goes around your foot and makes this really uh, kind of sound effect and uh, your feet get wet your socks get wet and even kind of the the bottom of your pants get wet so we're talking a ton of mud plus a thousand feet of elevation gain in one mile and, and it still was muddy the rest of the way but it leveled out a little more and we made a lot better time Our two oldest kids blazed ahead with their friend who we brought. So there were three of them up front and then the other four of us in the back. And that four-mile trip took four hours. So about a mile an hour, which is kind of what we've come to accept as our pace with young children. And the first mile took an hour and a half. So that was a little discouraging. (laughs) Like, oh, we're never going to make it. (laughs) That's what it felt like, yeah. But we did. We're actually doing something a little bit different for the hike out. We're not going to slog back through the four miles. Josh is going to be our hero today. (laughs) Just I am going to slog back through the four miles, but I love blazing trail. Yeah, it's going to be fun for me. (laughs) Right. So he's going to run back to the van. I'm going to take all five kids to Ecola State Park, kind of the main entrance I guess and we'll go down to the beach and we'll meet him there so that'll be about what a mile and a half two miles Uh, two miles on a really well-groomed trail like a trail that they can probably drive ATVs on to come up and service the camp so that'll be you guys will do that in 45 minutes it's all downhill you'll drop a thousand feet again (laughs) in in the two miles get to the beach so I've got the four miles ahead of me and then uh That gets me back to the van, and then I drive about 10 miles around to get to the beach at the state park. And it's a cute little backcountry camp here. Uh, There are three, I don't know, I'd call them half cabins. They're kind of like Adirondack shelters, except they're not completely open on that uh, fourth side. They have a doorway with a canvas flap that uh, rolls down to uh, kind of close the doorway. So three of those cabins, uh, a fire pit that's very wet... (laughs) We tried, (laughs) tried to get a fire going, and a picnic shelter with a nice long picnic table in it. Uh, The the vault toilet is nearby and is in good shape. So it was a great place to spend the night 
on a spring backpacking trip to have a little extra insurance that if it rained a lot, we would be well sheltered. There are tent spots that are close to the cabin. So even if the cabins are full, then there's still places to camp around here. There's also some really cool history here, too. Um, About maybe a quarter mile or less down the trail, you can see a beautiful old lighthouse that's just on a rock in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, the viewpoint is really close, and then you see the lighthouse a mile and a half out there on a little tiny island. Uh, That's the Tillamook Head Lighthouse. It's no longer operational, but it's, it's just amazing to try to imagine the life of a lighthouse keeper at Tillamook Head. Talk about isolation. Yeah, really. And then before that, on the trail, there's something that you might miss if you're not looking off to the side a little bit. There is some World War II history left behind there. And I'm sure one of the kids will bring it up when we talk to them for our top five list. Should we go see what they have to say? Yeah. All right, let's go. For today's top five list, we're going to talk to our top five favorite children slash teens. <laughs> yeah, sorry, four of them are our favorite children. <laughs> our children. <laughs> uh, the fifth one is a friend of one of our kids. So we have five kids today on this camp out. So we wanted to talk to each of them and kind of get their take on this trip. So share something that you experienced on the trail or that you learned just what kind of experience did you have on this adventure it could be a highlight a low light something you loved something you hated or just (laughs) something you observed or experienced the highlight of this backpacking trip was the bunkers from world war ii Ooh! did you get to go down into the bunkers yeah well and they let you back out again Mm -hmm. did you enlist did you sign up for the <laughs> army? Did you sign no. up for the army? No. You will when you're 18, though. My highlight of this backpacking trip was that there was actually a toilet. I think that was better than the shelters. My favorite part of this trip was we were able to have some fun games to play together when it was really late at night and we couldn't get to sleep, and so we kind of bonded. That was kind of cool. Cool. What games did you play? Um, a game where you have to guess the song that someone's thinking of by asking questions, and it kind of takes a long time sometimes. Uh, it took us forever to get Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys had quite the party set up, too. You had the luminoodle lights all yeah. strung around the cabin. Uh-huh, and uh, then a tent within the cabin. <laughs> yeah, because there were four bunks and there were five of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my highlight of this trip was either that I got to try out a new headlamp, which was a good headlamp, it was like really bright, or that it was just like more comfortable than most backpacking trips, I guess. And also I packed really light. I just packed what I needed and it worked. So yeah. Cool. What headlamp did you end up using? It's on my head right now. I need to check what brand. It's like the Night Eyes something, 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 something. (laughs) I don't know the name of it, but it's really bright. (laughs) Well, it has a 250 on it somewhere, right? Yeah, 250RH. 250RH, so maybe that's uh, 250 candle power. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. Uh, My favorite part of the backpacking trip was the sleeping and the hiking. I liked the hiking because it was really muddy and fun, and the sleeping was warm. You slept warm? Yeah. That's awesome. How did everyone else do with warmth? Pretty sure our cabin was like 80 degrees or something. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) with five people in there. 
Yeah, the later it got, the warmer it got. Nice. Yeah, it was it was pretty easy to fall asleep. The only thing was getting comfortable on hard ground. Yeah, yeah, those uh, wood boards don't give as much as the earth does. Mm -hmm. So for a springtime trip where temperatures were pretty cool outside, <clears throat> cabins were a good option. If you have five kids. If yeah. you have five kids all in one cabin. <laughs> I know you were questioning the choice of uh, itinerary, but those cabins turned out to be uh, just, yeah, really nice, like you say, for a spring break trip. Yeah. We'll see where uh, next spring break takes us. That's right. <laughs> and we'll see where our next trip takes us. I'm really excited, especially as the temperatures statistically or whatever historically are supposed to warm up over the next couple months. It'll be fun to see where our next trip is. So now that we're back from our trip, I had a chance to read through the stuff that Josh read through before the trip. Um, you know, the trail report and the uh, information about the trail that we were on. And I saw that it was marked as difficult, which makes a lot of sense. It wasn't difficult in the way that I expect a trail to be difficult. It was difficult because of the sheer amount of mud. So no treacherous cliffs or anything like that or any scrambling or steep trail. It was just the mud. It was amazing. And everything that the mud caused, like the washout, and that maybe was a bit of scrambling. I don't know. But we had to go up and around that washout. The trail was completely gone for a 50-foot section. Or the big spruce tree that came down because the ground was so saturated with water. And uh, so that was quite a scramble over that tree, too. It's just, it wasn't difficult in the sense of being super steep. Right, yeah. And, you know, everyone that we met on the trail was happy. And I guess they were a little bit more prepared than I was, which is a great lesson for me, that you can still be in a mud pit and be happy. And it was a great trip. I enjoyed the trip. I guess I just probably should have been a little more prepared mentally. I uh, should have done my homework. So that is another good lesson for me. So it came down to a question of expectations, perhaps. Like it always does. And if yep. you're new to backpacking or if you're taking someone who's new to backpacking on a trip, then I think that's important to keep in mind. You've got to help set their expectations. They might be fine with the mud if they know that that's what they're going to run into. But if they're surprised by it, that can really disturb the experience that they have. I wasn't too disturbed. I mean, I was with my favorite people. We had good food. We had, um, yeah, a, a new camp that we were going to be staying in. So it was, it was a really good trip. But yeah, I definitely, I don't know why. I have to learn things the hard way. And yep, we I learned. <laughs> You did have your low on that trip, for sure. My low. <laughs> your low. The the time, you know, where we're kind of in the middle of the four miles and you're going, I don't want to be here. I, I didn't sign up for this. Why are we even doing this? And I guess those lows actually accentuate the highs. Yes. That when, is a really great way to put it. When you get into camp, I mean, we were so excited when we saw camp. Yeah. And part of that excitement comes from going through the low. Definitely. Well, that is a perfect lead-in to today's Summit Gear Review, which is all about highs and lows. We will be reviewing the Night Eyes Radiant 250 Rechargeable Headlamp, which has two settings, high and low, <laughs> and a few other settings too. This is a headlamp that is fully rechargeable, 
and is on a fully adjustable elastic band. And this elastic band can even be adjusted down to a child size all the way up to 24 inches for the largest size. And if you wanted to take it even further, since it's elastic, it can expand out to 44 inches, which means this could be even worn around your waist. I bet you've never thought about wearing a headlamp around your waist before. You'd have to put it on like pants. Right. You can't open up the band and clip it back together. (laughs) But I guess if you were doing a long section of hiking in the dark, it might be pretty nice. Just wear it around your waist? Yeah. Weird. (laughs) There is an advantage to wearing it on your head, which is that uh, wherever you look, the light shines. And if you wear it on your waist, you'll have to turn your whole body (laughs) if you want to look off to the side. True. Well, the light can also be fully removed from the headband, which is great if you ever wanted to clean off the dirt and sweat from the band, or if you just wanted to use the light as just, you know, a standard flashlight and use it with your hand. The Night Eyes Radiant 250, at its brightest, glows 250 lumens, which is 250 times brighter than what the moon glows if you're on a night with a full moon. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It gives us a, a reference point for measuring brightness. Yeah. So I guess if the if you had 250 moons out, this is how bright it would be. Wow. So is there that? some measurement for like sunums or something? Solarium? Solar- <laughs> the brightness that the sun shines? I don't think they've ever made a flashlight that bright before. So I'm going to say no. Oh. <laughs> but, but I mean, you could measure it as like 0. 0.75 or. Oh, right. 0. 0.0000 something. <laughs> right. That's where most lights would be. Solariums. That's maybe why we don't use yeah. the sun as a reference point for flashlights. <laughs> well, this light is rechargeable and it has a lithium polymer battery. For utility, the Night Eyes Radiant 250 has two switches there is the high and low spotlight. And then there's the high and low floodlight. And then if you push and hold the floodlight for three seconds, it will turn on your red LED light. So I guess that the purpose of red LEDs could be to keep your night vision. Apparently, bluish light is what we perceive as more like daylight. Then the reddish light doesn't affect our eyes and our brains quite the same way. So we keep our night vision a little better. That's what I've heard. I've never really experimented a lot with red light at night. Have you heard any other reasons why a headlamp would have red lights? Um, No, I haven't. But I think what matters more than the red is the amount of light that's coming out. So if you don't like using the red feature or the red light, you could also just dim the light or put your hand over the white LED lights and just Uh, have it give out less light that's less likely to affect you or ruin your night vision. And maybe red is handy as some kind of a warning light, Uh, but this doesn't have a flash mode. Uh, Like the the light on the back of my bicycle, I can turn that to flash mode. And uh, while using less power because the light is only on half the time, it's also way more noticeable than a steady red light. But the night eyes light doesn't have any blinking flashing modes. Yeah, so I guess the jury is still out on the usefulness of red LED lights. I prefer if I'm going to use a light just to use the regular old white light and not feel like I'm on Mars. On Mars, (laughs) right. 
This flashlight also tilts down 90 degrees, which is really handy if you're going to be walking around camp with your headlamp on. Because if you tilt it down, then it's not going to be shining directly in people's eyes. For runtime, the Night Eyes Radiant 250 will run for about 43 hours in the low mode. And if you do decide to charge it while you're in camp, it won't turn on while you're charging it. So if you do need to use it while you're charging it, you'll just need to unplug it. Yeah, that would be kind of nice in camp, uh, setting under a shelter or in your tent or something. If you have one of those battery packs, it'd be nice to just be able to plug it in and constantly power the light. But no can do with this one. Nope. But it's funny, a lot of battery packs have built-in flashlights. That's so true. <laughs> you're going to find a light somewhere. Right. Yeah. For mass, the Night Eyes Radiant 250 weighs about 3.2 ounces or 91 grams. And the light itself is about two and three-fourths inches by an inch and a half by an inch and a half. It's a little bit larger than some other headlamps. And I think the reason is the high light output of this light. 250 candle power is a lot for a headlamp. For maintenance, this light recharges with micro USB. It doesn't take any kind of AA batteries or anything like that. There's a small red light on the side that indicates when it's charging. And then when it's being used, that same light glows green. And then when it's fully charged, that light will also glow green. That same battery indicator light will turn red when the battery life has about 10 minutes left on high. The Night Eyes Radiant 250 is weather resistant. It's impact resistant, so it's drop proof to about two meters. And for investment, this light runs about $50. For trial, one of our sons took this light on our backpacking trip, the one that we just shared a few minutes ago. It was a great trip to bring a light like this on because we were exploring an old World War II bunker. So that was really cool. But first off, I feel like with headlamps, there's a caveat that's a little bit like the caveat we talk about with walkie-talkies and antennas and things, which is you've got this amazing advertised range, and then you've got reality. So what we said, you know, for the advertised features of the light, 250 candle power on its brightest setting, that's really bright. And then 43 hours of runtime on its lowest setting. And 43 hours is quite a while. But those are on opposite ends of a spectrum. So if you want 250 lumens all the time, you're only getting four hours. And if you want 43 hours of light time, you're only getting eight lumens, not 250 lumens. That's a huge difference. Eight lumens is going to cover about eight meters or 25 feet. 250 lumens is covering 90 meters or nearly 300 feet. So just keep in mind that there's no magic here. Bright lights take a lot more power than dim lights. So it kind of comes down to the question of how much light do you need? That's a great question because a lot of times we think the more the better. When in fact, maybe with light, the less the better because your eyes will adjust. And especially as it starts to gradually get dark at night, your eyes will start to adjust. And if you shock them with something really bright, then you'll always need that really bright light to see anything because your eyes will have adjusted to the bright light and won't be as effective at seeing things in the kind of twilightish, nighttime-ish where it's not all the way dark, light. And you become dependent on the artificial light 
I carry a Petzl Tika Plus headlamp that I've had for quite a few years now, so they've gone through a few redesigns by now. Mine is a little bit smaller than the Night Eyes. Unfortunately, it's not rechargeable. I have to put new batteries in, I don't know, once a year, I guess, because I don't use it all that much. And it's extremely dim compared to the Night Eyes. I think when we turned the Night Eyes to the lowest setting, it was about equivalent to the highest setting uh, on my Petzl. And when we turned the Night Eyes spotlight up all the way to the highest setting, when I shined my Petzl on the same surface, you couldn't even tell. It made no difference at all. It was completely overpowered by the Night Eyes. So on our trip that we just took, when we found the World War II bunker, it was daylight. And we crawled down inside of the bunker through an opening and walked inside. And there was probably about a thousand square feet of open space inside the bunker. It was really cool. But when I turned on my Petzl headlamp, it was completely useless for me. My eyes were adjusted to the daylight. And I mean, yeah, I could use it to make sure that I didn't step on something, you know, step in a crack on the floor or something, but I could not shine it around in the room and see what was in there. It was so dim that it really didn't help at all. Well, when our sun came in with the night eyes, wow, the whole room lit up. It was amazing. And we could really see what was in there. So on this trip, I'm really glad we had the night eyes. We had all that power to explore the bunker. Yes, if you're trying to preserve your night vision, then maybe dial it down a little bit on the night eyes and just use the low settings. Not only will you preserve your night vision, but you'll also preserve battery life. So we really love that the Night Eyes Radiant 250 is rechargeable and that it's adjustable and that it has just the basic features that you need. It has features that let you know when it needs to be recharged and it's really simple to use. While we were out on the trail, we recorded our backpack hack of the week, which is something that our 12-year-old son came up with while we were finishing up dinner. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have a guest backpacker with us. This is my 12-year-old son, and he came up with the most delicious use for leftover dinner that I've ever had on the trail. So he's going to share that with us today. So I had some hot chocolate packets because I was making hot chocolate, but my dad had leftover rice, and so he asked if anyone wanted any curry to go with the rice. But instead, I just took some rice and started adding hot chocolate. I don't know how I thought of it, but I started doing that, and then I tried it, and it was really good. Okay, so you just took rice, maybe a half cup of rice? Yeah. And added one, a whole packet of yeah. hot cocoa mix? Yeah. And just stirred it up? Yep. Okay. Brilliant. So it's a great way to use up leftovers. If you have rice leftover from dinner that you haven't used up, you can turn it into dessert using a little bit of hot cocoa powder. On the same trip, you also came up with another backpack hack of the week. So why don't we do a two for today and you can share your other one that you came up with. Okay. It's not as much of a hack as some other ones, but it's where you put milk in a thermos because it has more calories and more fat and it weighs like about the same density as water. So it, um, it stays cold in the thermos and it's really useful. So you used a stainless steel double-walled thermos? Yes. Okay, and this is a kid that loves milk, and that probably explains why you brought it with you on a backpacking trip. How have you used the milk on this trip? Well, I had hot chocolate with it, 
um, I had a recipe where I needed to add water, but I filled it up some way with water and then added milk to make it creamier, and it turned out perfectly. Ooh. Were those your mashed potatoes or something else? No, it was my rice and noodles. Oh, like a, a Noor rice sides yeah. packet? Yeah, that one. Okay. And then have you drunken, uh, drinked? <laughs> yeah, I drank the rest of the milk. There's no more left. That's really cool. I love that hack. Totally cool. And then that can also work with the rice and chocolate milk if you wanted to make it a little bit thinner or creamier. You just add a little yeah. bit of milk to it. Mmm, that sounds great. Hey, mm -hmm. thank you so much. You're welcome. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, John Muir. He said, man and other civilized animals are the only creatures that ever become dirty. Perfect quote for this backpacking trip. Oh, we became dirty. <laughs> That's for sure. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Good. All right, we just recorded <clears throat> 10 seconds of silence. It was extremely challenging for some children. <laughs>